1 Corinthians chapter 14, page 1137 in the Pew Bibles. And we are continuing our uh, weekly study through Corinthians, and today we come to uh, Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts, gifts given by the Holy Spirit to the church, and, and he specifically wants to help us think about two gifts, the gift of prophecy and the gift of speaking in tongues, which you may or may not be familiar with. And he wants to help the Corinthians think through which is more important and why. And really, he helps us think through what's important in the church. What, what are we doing when we gather here in church? What's our goal and our purpose? And so that there's the bigger picture of the church in view as well. So let me just read these verses, verses 1 to 25. And what I want you to do is, as you're listening uh, is to mentally check off the arguments that you find in this verse for why prophecy as a spiritual gift is superior to speaking in tongues as a spiritual gift. That's really the point of this chapter and, and what those arguments are. So, so I'm just going to read it, and you just kind of go through with your mental checklist and say, ah, oh, there's another argument, there's another argument, and, and see this case that Paul is building. All right, let me read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their encouragement, strengthening encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil be infants, 
but in your thinking be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, He'll be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Well, we come to this most fascinating, confusing, controversial subject of of what some have called uh, not just the spiritual gifts, but the extraordinary spiritual gifts. I've heard them called the miraculous spiritual gifts. I've heard them called the spooky spiritual gifts. It's things like speaking in tongues and prophesying and miracles and healing. We, we understand spiritual gifts like leadership or the gift of helps or the gift of teaching. We can kind of get our minds around that easily because we know what that is. But, but for someone to say that not God has helped me be a good teacher, but God has helped me to speak in other languages or other tongues, we say, wow, that's really different. That's remarkable. What is that? And so whenever you come to any discussion of the gifts of the Spirit, the the endowments that the Spirit gives to different people in a congregation for the good of the congregation. This is always kind of an elephant in the room sort of question. What about that stuff? What about those gifts in particular? Well, it appears to have been an elephant in the room for the Corinthians too, uh, but for a different reason. Uh, they, they, it appears, based on what we're reading here in chapter 14, that Paul is trying to correct their thinking. It appears that they've kind of put way too much of an emphasis on speaking in tongues. That they've taken the, the act of speaking in tongues, whatever that is, and we'll talk about that, and they've put it way up there on the chart. So, sort of like if you're really spiritual, the most spiritual people will speak in tongues. And, and so for them, it, it, was kind of, it seems to have been sort of out of control, overemphasized, that speaking in tongues had become one of the more important signs of spirituality in the church. And so Paul is trying to adjust that and pull him back and say, guys, guys, the most important thing in the church is love. And if, if you're not loving each other and you're acting in ways that aren't helping each other, then you're not actually as spiritual as you think you are. And so in chapter 12, just to kind of review the last two Sundays, chapter 12, we learn that all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church are like body parts, and the whole body needs all the parts to work together. There's not one like uh, tongues that, that doesn't need the rest. Or chapter 13, which we studied last Sunday, uh, is about love. You know, the first line of chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So without love, those things like speaking in tongues, really, they're not important. Without love, they're useless. We need love more than anything. And so here in 14, he's trying to show them that prophecy is actually better than tongues. Like, all right, you guys want spiritual? You, you, you want some dramatic gifts? Seek prophecy if you're going to have to seek one because that's, more, that's better than tongues. 
because it edifies and builds up the church. We should probably stop for a second and just kind of do a timeout and, and answer a basic question that may be rattling around in some of your minds, which is, what in the world is speaking in tongues and what in the world is prophesying? What, what does that mean? What, what are those things? And do they still happen today? And what does it look like? Uh, and, of course, this is not a question the Corinthians were asking because, well, they were there and they knew what was happening. But it's kind of a question we have to ask. So if, just kind of pause this text for a minute and, and ask those questions. Um, let me make a couple preliminary comments. My first preliminary comment is that that question has a, ri- a wide variety of answers among evangelical Christians. That if you ask Bible-believing, gospel-loving Christians about these gifts of the Spirit, what are they and do they still happen today, you get some different answers, even within similar theological schools. You know, I I find myself comfortably in in sort of the the, the theological tribe of Calvinistic or Reformed theology. That's where I just seem to resonate. And yet, I, I look at some of the people within that school and and there's divisions. There's some who have one view of the gifts. There's some who have different views of the gifts. So it seems like th- this question about the spiritual gifts, it sort of runs right down through all different kinds of groups within the body of Christ. Um, I mean, even our three pastors, Godwin, Seth, and I, don't agree 100% on this issue. If you come back tonight at 6.15, the three of us are going to have a friendly discussion about the spiritual gifts. So come on back tonight at the evening service if you want to dig in more and just hear some slightly different perspectives. And uh, so it's just one of those issues that, that's, that people wrestle with. I, I think a second thing we have to acknowledge just by way of preliminaries is that pro- probably for all of us, our, our, our approach to this topic will be heavily influenced by experiences that we've had in life, both good and bad. And, and we have to realize that we, we come loaded with those experiences. Some of us have had very uh, good experiences of speaking in tongues. There's people in our church who claim to speak in tongues. I've heard people in our church in various settings speaking in tongues. And for them, they would say, it's been an awesome gift in my life. You know, sometimes when I don't even know what to pray, I, I just let loose in this thing that comes out of me. And it's just helped me to praise God and focus on Him. Uh, other people have had very bad experiences with speaking in tongues. They've been in churches, maybe like Corinth, where you walk in and everybody is, you know, just babbling away and it just sounds like gibberish and everyone's talking and, and it's chaos and people are walking around and people are falling down and jumping over pews and I'm not exaggerating, right? And people have had those experiences and they say, it's just, it, it's, it's like what they said at the end of this verse, everyone's mad, everyone's gone mad. And so you've had those experiences, and you hear about speaking in tongues, you go, oh, I'm all set. Uh, Prophecy. Some of us have had very good experiences where somebody has has come to you and says, you know, I just feel like God laid on my heart to tell you something. And they they say, I feel like I just was supposed to share this verse with you. And they share the verse with you, and it was like a laser went right to your heart. And it spoke to you so powerfully. And you said, wow. God really knows what I'm going through and God has spoken to me and applied his word to me. Wow. Others of us have had very bad experiences with prophecy where you've been in, maybe you've been in churches where there's like this obsession with prophecy, so much so that you just want to like shout at the whole church like, people, what about the Bible? 
get back to the Bible. And people are just kind of chasing after experiences. And, and sometimes prophecy can be used manipulatively in churches. You know, God, God has told me that you're supposed to marry me. You know? <laughs> really? And see, God hasn't told me that. <laughs> you know? Again, you think I'm exaggerating. These things are used. You know, manipulation, twisting, uh, and, and just all, you know, people not getting their way in church, so they stand up in a business meeting, and lo and behold, they have a prophecy of, you know, that God says you should do what I say, kind of thing. And so it can really, and, you know, then it's like, well, I don't know, did God say that? So it can really be destructive or constructive. So I just think we have to kind of own that and say that as we come at this topic, we come with lots of different experiences that affect us. And ultimately, we're trying to read God's Word objectively, but those things sort of uh, get into our experiences, so we have to look at what it says. So, so let's just say then, what, what is tongues and what is prophecy? Uh, first of all, as far as speaking in tongues, and, and I suppose what I'm going to give you is my understanding. And you have to just say, hey, well, this is how Jeremy reads the text, and there's others who view it differently. Um, but in, in terms of speaking in tongues, uh, it seems that most people agree, most Christians who read the Bible agree, that in the New Testament times, speaking in tongues definitely included this supernatural ability to speak in other human languages that you didn't know yourself. So on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, the Holy Spirit comes down. Wow! The disciples all are filled with the Spirit, and they start speaking in other languages. And they walk out in the street, and they're praising God in these languages they never heard. And there's other people out in the street from other parts of the the world who are like, what? How do you know how to speak my language? Whoa, you're not even from where I'm from. What is going on here? People heard their languages being spoken. And and so the, the debate then, so most people agree on that. The debate when it comes to speaking in tongues is... Is, is speaking in tongues that people practice today part of what speaking in tongues was in the Old Testament or, or in the New Testament times? Does that make sense? Because when, when you hear modern tongue speaking, by and large, it's not speaking in foreign languages. Um, there have been interesting studies done where uh, linguists have tape-recorded modern tongue speaking, and then they've analyzed it linguistically. And, and the unanimous, near-unanimous opinion appears to be that what most of modern tongue speaking is, is not human language. It doesn't have the structure of grammar. In fact, I was, I was preaching this in the first service, and there was a guy over on the side who's like bobbleheading. He's like, you know. So that's always interesting when someone's bobbleheading during a sermon. I'm like, so, you know, I went after, I was like, hi, you know, and he's like, I'm a linguist. And I was like, oh. He goes, you're right. He says, I've looked into this. All the, you know, the studies are that the people speaking in tongues today aren't actually speak. It's not like they're suddenly speaking Farsi or they're suddenly speaking Swahili or they're suddenly speaking Portuguese. They're just making sounds. And, and so the question is, the debate comes, is that speaking in tongues as well? And as you can imagine, there's people on different sides of that debate. Some say, no, I think the New Testament is just speaking other languages. And so the, those people tend to be skeptical of modern tongue speaking. And if it does happen, they, f- they say it must not be happening a lot because most of modern tongue speaking is just the kind of gibberish talk. And I- I'm not trying to say that word gibberish pejoratively, just you don't understand it. Um, and then there's others who would say, well, speaking in tongues in the Bible might include uh, non-language, non-communicative speech, um, kind of just like jazz, you know, just notes, expressive notes. 
as opposed to a melody. Um, and, and I, you know, just to share my own view, I, I suppose where I come down, I'm sort of wishy-washy, but I'm op- I, I think it's possible, I think it's possible that the speaking in tongues in the Bible could include the modern kind of, for lack of a better word, jazzy sort of speech. Uh, you know, for instance, in chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, if I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, you know, what does that mean to speak in the tongue of angels? I'm not sure, but it's possible Paul is talking about another category of tongue speech. Um, Or look down at chapter 14, verse 2. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. It's possible that Paul is is talking about speech that, that's not uh, discursive in another language, speech, speech that's not communicating something that, that someone from another language can understand. Or look at verse 10. Paul says, Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If I then do not grasp the meaning of what someone's saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and, a foreigner, and he's a foreigner to me, so it is with you. So it's interesting that Paul uses the human language as an analogy to tongue-speaking. So it's possible then that he's seeing tongue speaking as something slightly different from human languages in some cases. Maybe. So I'm open to the possibility of, of that. I've never spoken in tongues myself. I've asked God. I said, God, hey, if you want me to speak in tongues, give me the gift. I would love to find new ways to praise the Lord. I've never received that gift. So that's at least my own experience of it. But I'm open. And I'm not, uh, I'm not close to people doing that. And like I said, there's people in our church who speak in tongues. What about prophecy then? What's prophecy? Well, again, there's a division of how people view prophecy. Uh, and, and one way to sort of frame this question is, is prophecy in the New Testament the same thing as prophecy in the Old Testament? You know, in the Old Testament, there were prophets. They would show up and they would say, Thus saith the Lord... You better do what they say, because they're speaking God's words. And if they said, thus saith the Lord, and it didn't happen, what'd you do? You killed them, because they were really wrong. It was a no messing around kind of situation. And the question is, is the prophecy happening in the New Testament something along the same lines of that kind of speech? And as you can imagine, there are two sides to that question. One side says no, or yes, the other side says no. So there are some who say that New Testament prophecy is the same thing as Old Testament prophecy, that prophecy is prophecy is prophecy. It's God's speech. It's authoritative. Thus saith the Lord. And, and therefore, this, this view tends to say that therefore probably prophecy does not happen today because God's given us his word. And if someone were to stand up and prophesy, they would be saying something that we could conceivably add to the Bible. It's authoritative speech from God. Uh, the, the other viewpoint says, you know, I think New Testament prophecy is something different and lesser in authority than Old Testament prophecy. Uh, that, that, that it's not so much, thus saith the Lord, but it's more like, I think God is telling me to tell you something, but I could be wrong, but let me just say it. Kind of a feel to it. Less authoritative, less less absolute and more pastoral and immediate, something like that. So those are kind of the two, two schools of thought, and there's arguments and texts way more than we can handle in this sermon this morning. 
Um, I, I find through my own study uh, th- that I'm, I'm part of that other side that says that prophecy in the New Testament seems to be something lesser than prophecy in the Old Testament, even though my own experiences would probably push me the other way because I'm concerned about the abuse of so-called prophecy. And yet, I, looking at the text, I, I just find myself in that other camp. Um, so, for instance, look at chapter 14. Let's just look at 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. It seems to be prophecy is something that Paul is encouraging lots of Christians to practice, which seems at least feels a little different to me than something that a select few people would speak authoritatively that would become the Bible. Or look at verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. It seems like there's something immediate and pastoral about New Testament prophecy. And again, even in chapter, verse 25 where he talks about prophesying and people's hearts being exposed. There seems to be something more direct and personal about this New Testament kind of speech and prophecy. Um, or, or look at, uh, we'll study this next week, but look at verse 29. Jump ahead where Paul is actually giving instructions on what to do in church. And he says in verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So again, this seems like something lesser, softer than Old Testament prophecy. I mean, you know, you're speaking prophecy and other people are evaluating. They're saying, yeah, well, that's, that may be, that doesn't sound like prophecy to me. I just don't think in the Old Testament you evaluate Old Testament prophets that way. I mean, you just either obeyed them or you killed them. Uh, <laughs> but... This seems like a different thing. Or notice even that one speaker would stand up and another would sit. I mean, if someone is really speaking the authoritative word of God, how would you dare to tell them to sit down? But it seems to be something looser, more, more dynamic, more personal that's happening that seems that all people can participate in in the church. Or even verses 36 to 37 where Paul says, did the word of God originate with you? You know, answer, no. You're not speaking God's word. Or are you the only people it's reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. So Paul is saying, thus saith the Lord. In other words, I think Old Testament, thus saith the Lord prophets, have been replaced in the New Testament by the apostles. And that the spiritual gift of prophecy, if it's real, will acknowledge the word of God from the apostles so that we have to test all supposed prophecy by God's word. Um, So for all those reasons, I find myself in that that latter camp uh, of prophecy that it's not so much thus saith the Lord, but it's something more pastoral and immediate, something the Spirit brings to mind in some way that we, in a very fallible way, share with somebody else. And that has to be wet, tested, weighed, evaluated, and held loosely in the church. Well, let's get back to chapter 14. Because, again, those Corinthians, they weren't wrestling with that question. That's our question. They already knew what it was that was going on. What Paul wanted to emphasize in chapter 14 was, again, that prophecy, whatever it was, 
was way better than tongues for the church, whatever tongues was. Why was prophecy better than tongues? And I think the short answer is because prophecy edifies the whole church, but speaking in tongues, unless it's interpreted, doesn't. It just edifies the person speaking. Notice the emphasis on the word edify. Verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening. That word strengthening is the Greek word that is often translated to edify. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 12. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up or edify. Same Greek word, the church. Verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Verse 26, what shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue or interpretation. All these must be done for the That word strengthening is the same Greek word for edify. So over and over and over and over and over, he says, edification, edification, edification. His big concern is that whatever we do when we're with other Christians, whether in a worship service or a Bible study or a committee meeting or just a bunch of Christians having lunch and talking and sharing, that we need to be trying to edify, build up, and strengthen the other Christians with whom we find ourselves. That seems to be the main point of this passage. Uh, and, and so Paul is simply arguing to these speaking-in-tongue-obsessed Corinthians that they ought to be edifying each other, and if they want to have a speaking gift, well, then try to prophesy, not speak in tongues. So why is prophecy better than speaking in tongues? That seems to be the assertion in the first five verses. Well, here's some reasons. Look at verses 6 to 12. Here's one reason. It's because tongues is not intelligible. But prophecy is. You know, speaking in tongues, verse uh, 7, is like a flute or a harp where, where someone is just playing random notes. You know, I don't know what you're playing. You, you ever heard like a three-year-old play the piano? You know, not, not like Mozart, genius, but like a regular three-year-old. And they walk up and they find it. And, you know, we have a piano in our house and our kids would find it. And <laughs> sing along to that. You can't. You're just like, why do we have the piano um, in the house? And they're banging on the piano. And, and I would like to sing along. It's sweet. I know that child is expressing themselves. I can take joy in that child and what they're expressing. I know it's good for them, but it doesn't really help anybody else. No one else can sing along. So it's sweet. But then we're like, but this is really interfering with the, the family life in some ways when we're all together. And so it's like that. Or it's like, he says in verse 8, a trumpet without a clear call. How do the soldiers know whether or not it's time to go to battle? Or or the example in verses 10 and 11, that that speaking in tongues without interpretation in the church, those, those are the parameters, is like someone speaking another language. And I don't know what they mean. Which is really bad because that means that two people in the same church who are brothers and sisters in Christ are trying to grow closer to one another and closer to the Lord, suddenly one person is speaking in church or in some gathering or Bible study or wherever, and this other person doesn't know what they're saying, and suddenly these two family members who should be drawing close together in the body of Christ are actually being pushed apart, and they feel like foreigners to each other because it sounds like they're speaking different languages. They feel distant. That's, that's not how it should be in the church. Now, interestingly, in verses 13 to 17, 
Paul makes clear that he's not anti-speaking in tongues. Okay, so you could read this and be like, see, speaking in tongues, that's bad. No, 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 no. It's not bad. It's just not edifying when you're with other Christians and it's not interpreted. Okay, so, you know, Paul says in verses 13 and 14, when I'm praying in tongues, I'm just praying with my spirit, but I'm not praying with my mind. I'm not understanding what I'm saying. You know, I, I ask people who speak in tongues sometimes. I'm like, so what's it? I've asked them, you know, what's it like? And, and they say, well, it's, it's, it's like I'm just, you know, my heart is just saying something to God. I don't know what I'm saying, but it, it's like a part of me is, is crying out to God. And, and so it's, it's very effective as opposed to something very cognitive and cerebral. It's, it's a different kind of thing. Like Paul says, my spirit is praying, my spirit is singing, but my mind is unfruitful. And so when we're in the church, when we're together, we need to do things that everybody can understand, right? You may be edified. It may be great that you're speaking in tongues. The three-year-old may enjoy playing the notes on the piano, but it's not helping the rest of us in that moment. And so I like what Paul says in verses 18 19. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul's not anti-speaking in tongues. He was a big-time tongue speaker. Paul was the king of the tongue speakers. You guys think you're all spiritual? <laughs> I speak in tongues way more than you. But in the church, when I'm with other Christians, when we're trying to edify each other, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because, again, the goal is edification, edification, edification. Let's build each other up, not just express ourselves. And then the last argument in verses 20 to 25, just kind of walking you through the passage here. Uh, Paul considers the effect of speaking in tongues and prophecy not on Christians. What effect does it have on people who don't know Jesus? how, How does it impact them if they were to come into a church and people were speaking in tongues and prophesying? And, and he's, his point is, like, it's not good for people to come into a church with everyone speaking in tongues and no interpretation. People are going to freak out. And so he says here in verse 21, he quotes Isaiah, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me. This is an Old Testament prophecy where Isaiah, one of the thus saith the Lord prophets, said, Listen, you Israelites, you're not listening to God? Fine, God's going to talk to you, but he's going to send some people to talk to you that you're not going to understand, and they're going to destroy you, Israel, because you've been worshiping other gods. And sure enough, the Assyrians came, and then the Babylonians came, speaking other tongues, and they destroyed the Israelites. And so Paul's saying, be careful. If you're going around speaking in tongues to unbelievers, it can act as a sign of judgment against them. That's not good. And then he shows how this might play out in a church. Look at verse 23. So scenario A, people speaking in tongues in a church, how will that affect an unbeliever? If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some of you who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? If you're here today and you don't know Christ or you're not a Christian or you're just checking it out or sorting it out and you were to come in and, and I were to just launch into five minutes of unintelligible syllables, and then at the end, be done and go on with my sermon, it would probably disturb you. You know, you'd probably be like, what, what, what's that? You know, is that a... It would, it would just be hard to understand. Some of us grew up in churches like that, and so we'd, we kind of got used to it. But, but, you know, we'd be hesitant to bring our friend because we, 
we'd be like, oh, I hope they don't get freaked out. I've got to prep them for this because this is so different. It seems so bizarre to our normal experience. Again, doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not helpful to non-Christians because they'll think something crazy is going on. But, verse 24, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in and people are prophesying, God is, is putting things on their hearts to say to each other that are, are cutting through to people's hearts. He says he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner. He'll be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You know, we've all probably had experiences where someone has said something and it felt like God was talking right to us. That's a very awesome and unsettling experience, isn't it? Maybe you've heard a sermon and, and you're just like, wow, what did the pastor have microphones in my car on the way over here? How do how they know that? You know, God, God's spirit speaks. God is real. God knows you. I don't know a lot of you. Even those of you I know, I really don't know as well as I should. God knows you. God is real. God loves you. God can speak to you. Isn't that awesome? In all of his ways. You can't control it. You can't say, well, it's got to look like this. God does what God wants. Maybe God is already speaking to you. You know? Maybe God has been working in your heart and you've been trying to swat it away like a fly. But God just keeps pecking away in different ways and people say things and you hear things and that seems like a coincidence. Is something at work? Is God after me? And God does that. And sometimes it overwhelms someone and they just say, God is really among you. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And so for all those reasons, Paul argues that if we're going to seek spiritual speaking gifts in the church in whatever setting, then don't be enamored with tongues, although that's great. And as Paul says, I hope you all speak in tongues, but even better, prophesy, because it builds up the church. Okay, well, let's wrap this up. What are we supposed to do with this passage? All very interesting, but what are, what are we supposed to take away? How do we apply a text like this? Um, let me suggest four applications from this passage that we could put into practice in our own lives. Here's the first application. Seek to edify. That seems to me to be the main point of the whole text. If we're going to talk to each other in the church, whether you have one of these gifts or not, let's seek to edify. That seems to be the main thrust. Edification is Paul's big concern. The circumstances in Corinth happen to be the prophecy and tongues debate, and Paul wants to talk to that too, but the bigger issue is edify. And that's different because I think sometimes we, we come to church, and we, uh, whether it's a church service or a Sunday school or ministry or we go to a Bible study, and our big assessment is, is you know, what did I get out of it? Did it help me? Did I like it? Did I enjoy it? You know, what, what did I get? And, and did I get to, to do what I wanted to do? Did I get to say what I wanted to say? What, what about me? You know, that's how we often assess gatherings of Christians. And, and, we, and we go to church and we look at it that way. But Paul's suggesting there's a different way to assess a successful church gathering. What if, what if instead of saying, what did I get out of it? We, we go to any church gathering and we come home and we say, who was I able to edify today? That's a totally different way of thinking about church. 
Who did I edify? Who did I help? You know, what, what if when we get out of our car on Sunday morning and we're walking into, say, a church service, we're praying as we're walking into church, God, I know there's people today who need you. There's people in there who need to be prayed for. There's people in this church who need to be encouraged. There's someone who needs a hug. There's someone who needs a meal or whatever. Lord, bring me to them. Show me who they are. Lord, help me to minister to somebody today. I want to help build up this body. I want to help weak Christians get strong. I want to help straying, wandering Christians get pulled back in the path. I want to help confused Christians get more clarity. I want to, I want to love people, Lord. I, I want to use whatever gifts you've given me, even if I don't even know what they are. I just want to say things to help encourage and strengthen other Christians. That's a totally different mentality. You know, for those of you who are in growth groups or Bible studies, how do we usually assess our Bible study? Hey, how'd your Bible study go tonight? Oh, I don't know. We, we didn't get all the questions answered in the booklet. So I'm kind of frustrated because I'm type A and I want to answer all the questions. You know, fill in the blanks and get a star from somebody. Or, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't that great. I mean, so-and-so was there and they're really annoying. And, you know, we, we had the snack time, and it was like veggies and dip, and I was kind of hoping for brownies. Like, I, we, that person always brings veggies. It's so annoying. Like, ah. And that's the kind, right? Isn't that kind of stuff we say after Bible studies? But, like, what, what if we were looking at our Bible study thinking, okay, God, who can I edify tonight? How? In some way. Speaking a word, praying. After the, after the Bible study, someone's just, ah, bummed, having a rough week. Instead of being like, oh, okay, say, can I pray for you? And, and pray for that person and, and just speak and encourage each other. It's a totally different mentality where I say success is based upon me edifying others as opposed to success is me getting something out of it, whatever that means. So seek to edify, regardless of what you think about the spiritual gifts. Hopefully we can all agree on this as the main point. Seek to edify. A second application, I I would say, is seek to prophesy. Seems to be one of the things Paul says. Verse 1 of chapter 14, seek the spiritual, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Look at the end of the chapter, verse 39. We'll look at this next week. Therefore, brothers, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. Or go back to chapter 12, verse 31. Before Paul launches into his sort of side story into love, he says in chapter 12, verse 31, eagerly desire the greater gifts, which he defines in chapter 14 as prophecy. So at least three times here, we have a direct command from Paul to seek the gift of prophecy. Now, obviously, your view of what prophecy is is going to color how you understand that command, right? So again, different views on this. But from my perspective, which I shared with you, which you're free to disagree with, but from my perspective, that means, well, we need to just pray that God will impress things upon us to share with others for their encouragement and edification. So, uh, you know, when you're teaching, if you're, any of you teach or preach or share God's word, we should just be praying that God will give us things to say in addition to everything we've prepared to say. Uh, one of my heroes in the faith, uh, one of my hero pastors is John Piper, some of you um, may be familiar with his ministry. But, but he, he has a similar view of prophecy as, was, as what I'm articulating here. And he'll say that sometimes, he'll, before he preaches, he'll be sitting there in the pew getting ready to preach. And he'll just pray, Lord, if there's something that I need to say to this church 
that I didn't prepare, would you just press it into my heart and I'll speak it when I'm up in the pulpit? You know, and I was like, yeah, I've had experiences like that. Maybe I haven't been as intentional as Piper, but yeah, I've had experiences where I'm just preaching away and then suddenly some thought will come into my head and I'll, you know, take the risk of going off script <laughs> and I'll just be like, and you know what? Okay, back to the script. Right? And then afterwards, someone will pull me aside and they'll say, oh, when you said da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that really spoke to my heart. That was like God talking to me. You know, people say things like that. And then you go, you mean, I put 20 hours of prep into this sermon. And the thing you got out of it was the rabbit trail in the moment. Like, maybe I should just prophesy the whole time. Uh, well, unfortunately, you can't turn it on and off like that. It's not the same kind of thing. It's a different thing. But God does that. Or, or maybe when you're, when, some, when you're ministering to someone and they're just sharing their life with you and they're struggling, you're talking to a person who isn't a Christian... Sometimes when I'm just talking to people about stuff in their life, I'll just be praying in my head, God, is there anything you want me to say to them? Like, you know, I don't need to hear a voice or something. But if there's something you want me to say, however you do it, like, let me know, and I'll, I'll just say it. You know, and sometimes things come into my mind, and I'll, I'll just say things. Well, what about this? How do you feel about that? And, they'll, you know, suddenly you'll say something, and it'll be the key that unlocks a whole different conversation. Or, or uh, sometimes you're praying for somebody and they're like, could you really pray for me? My big toe is killing me. You're like, okay, I'll pray for your big toe. Not going to lay hands on it, but I'm just going to pray. <laughs> you start praying for that big toe and you're praying for him. Then you just feel a burden like, I need to pray for this person's marriage too. So you just start praying for their marriage. And then they're crying. <laughs> you know, this is... God can work in these ways. As, as the Spirit works in the mysterious way the Spirit works that I can't really explain to you. Um, just God does what God does. And so it seems that we should seek to prophesy and just encourage you as you minister to each other, as you speak to each other, to, to be open to those moments and act and see. And, you know, and then for the rest of us, weigh it. <laughs> Don't just say because someone says God told me something. Don't believe that it's necessarily true. We have to be discerning and wise and judge everything by the word of God. So seek to edify, seek to prophesy. The third, the third application I would say is if you speak in tongues, seek to interpret. You know, if, if you're going to be in some setting where you want to speak in tongues with other Christians and there's no interpretation, then just let that be your jazz song to God, right? But unless there's someone there who can turn it into classical so that we understand the notes, just let it be jazz to God. That's your thing. But pray for interpretation. So seek to edify, seek to prophesy, seek to interpret. And then here's the last one. I'll close with this. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. God is real. God really is seeking us. It's awesome. God really does reach out to us in so many different ways, and he brings the gospel of Jesus to us. Why are you even here? Why are you here in a Baptist church on a, you know, on a Sunday morning? It's so weird, isn't it, that you're here? What's brought you here? What, you say, well, I like the music, or I like this or that. No, no, no. I mean, really, what's brought you here? Could it be that God is working in your life? Haven't you noticed 
the weird coincidences of God's hand in your life? When are you going to finally come to realize God is really among us? When are you going to realize God is at work in your life? It's a gift he's giving you. When will you come to the place of seeing that, yeah, you really are a sinful person. You, you can't just get through with Yankee ingenuity. You need the Savior, Jesus. And you need to put your faith in Jesus who was crucified and buried and raised. You know, God has a spiritual gift for you this morning. It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of eternal life. And you need to take the gift and stop thinking that you'll figure it out and work it out. No, no, no. It's a gift. You know, if, if I'm like, hey, here's the gift, what do you do? You say, all right, all right, let me run back to my car. Let me get you some money. No, it's a gift. Take the gift. Uh, well, you know, I, well, let me do something for you. I don't want you to do anything for me. Take the gift. That's what faith is. Faith is us coming saying, I can't pay God back. I can't make myself good enough. I just got to, like a little child. We don't like giving, getting charity, right? But you're not going to get into heaven unless you're willing to get charity. If you can't humble yourself before the Lord and receive his salvation, you won't belong in heaven. It's for those who, who receive the gift humbly and say, I really do need forgiveness. And then you receive the gift of eternal life by just believing in Christ and you get forgiveness and he loves you and he adopts you into his family and you get the Holy Spirit. And suddenly you find the Spirit is alive in your own heart. It's remarkable. And so won't you seek the Lord? I don't know where you're at in your own walk, but just come closer to Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I do pray that you would help us as a church, regardless of our own views on things like tongues and prophecy. Oh, Lord, we, we, just, we do our best, but when sometimes we don't even know what to think. But, Lord, I thank you that you call us to edify one another. And so I pray that this would be a church filled with a desire not to be spiritual consumers, but to be spiritual providers for others. That, Lord, you would make us eager to edify each other, whether we're in a lobby after a service or in a Bible study or just going out to coffee, God. I pray that you'd help us to be an upbuilding, encouraging church. Lord, I pray that you would enable this church to prophesy, Lord, and that you would help us to tune into your spirit as we care for each other, God. And if there's things you want us to say to each other, you'd somehow show us what that is. Lord, I pray that we, uh, for those who speak in tongues, that you would bless them as they exercise that gift. And Lord, that, that if that's something you, you want them to share with others, that you'd provide an interpretation, real interpretation, Lord. And God, we pray for everyone here that we would all seek the Lord. I pray for anybody here who, who has sensed your work and your hand in their life, that God, they would take down the defenses and open their heart and at least ask, could it be? that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God and the Savior and that he really loves me. And God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to people. We love you. Thank you that you are really among us, God, that you really do speak. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.